Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. Armed with multiple degrees in psychology, two decades of working one-on-one -on -one with individuals and facilitating internationally, Gemma is laser-focused on helping people build emotional intelligence, EQ. Gemma is a natural-born storyteller who inspires compassion with every breath. Her fresh, accelerated, and loving approach to healing is changing the psychology industry. I am so lucky to be basking in her presence today She's this beautiful red head with this, these pink lips, perfect white teeth, long eyelashes. I mean, she's just beautiful. And we're going to hear her story today. Gemma, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for that really lovely intro. I'm delighted to be here and to be having this conversation with you. Well, yay. Well, let's get started. I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about trauma. And just before we started taping the podcast, we were just saying that, you know, there is kind of this culture trendiness going on about being vulnerable and talking about mental illness and getting help and seeing a psychologist. I always wondered years ago, I was like, why isn't not seeing a psychologist sexy? Mm -hmm. Like it should be a sexy thing. And because it's always been sexy in Hollywood, I feel like it has like, oh, I'm going to see my shrink today. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but it's never in Canadian culture. It's just been like, pushed under the carpet and we don't like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, I'm, I'm a feeler. So can you tell our <laughs> listeners what sparked your hunger for knowledge in understanding healing and growth? Absolutely. Well, I think this piece around the emergence of psychology and of therapy and of trauma in pop culture is, I think this is one of the best things that we can do for humanity. Because I think that there's a lot of experiences we have that are directed by trauma, but we're not aware that they are. And when we can figure out ourselves and unpack our own traumas, how we show up in the world, the, the way that we parent, the way that we lead, the way we love, the way we run our businesses, all of that can come from a place of love instead of fear. So for me, my story starts pretty early in life. I had an early introduction to trauma. There was a lot of abuse in my early childhood experience. And as I grew up, I struggled with mental health enormously. There was a lot of depression, anxiety, eating disorder. But there was also this feeling of that's just how things are. So I didn't really get sparked into healing until later in life when I was in university and I was taking a degree in international development and a professor told me to go do something practical. So I ended up in a psychology course. And when I went through the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is like our, our Bible of mental health disorders, I was reading and I was like, check, check, check. And all of a sudden at the end of the class, I realized I had half a dozen of these disorders that were previously undiagnosed. and I had this awakening moment where I realized that the struggle and the suffering that I had in my, in my mind, in my body, in my heart, in my relationships, it wasn't normal. Even though I grew up with it, it was almost like the water I was swimming in, I just thought that was life. So I had this awakening moment where I realized it doesn't have to be this hard, it doesn't have to be this painful. So I stayed in psychology, got a couple of degrees in psychology, but by the time I graduated, I don't think I was in much better of a psychological state. So I had this moment 
I had multiple degrees in psychology. I had been teaching at universities and working for organizations. I, I had everything I thought I was supposed to have. I had the degrees. I had the house. I had the partner. I even had the golden retriever. Like, <laughs> that's very cliche. I have everything. Why am I still suffering? So I had this a moment in the bathtub where it, it looked like a beautiful moment. It was it was my birthday. I was leaning back with some lush bubble bath and having like champagne and these like gorgeous Godiva chocolates. Oh and my gosh, sounds amazing. It was a beautiful moment, right? Like all the self-care things we are told we're supposed to do. But inside, I just felt so empty. Absolutely still, like there was all these medications that were still lined up on my kitchen sink because mm-hmm. I was still struggling with my mental health so much. And in that moment, that's where I decided, not only am I going to get these degrees and, and have the certificates, but I'm actually going to do my own deep dive into my own healing. Mm-hmm. And that's really where it totally transformed for me. So you are speaking from many years of experience in trauma and at that time undealt with trauma. Yes. And medication. Exactly. The healing process is not linear. Can you describe to our listeners what they can expect when going through their own healing, getting honest with their trauma, and facing the difficult parts of who they are? Yeah, that's a really beautiful question because I think it scares a lot of people Mm -hmm. or frustrates a lot of people. I've been in that place, and I know clients have been in that place where they're like, really? I'm here again? Like, didn't I deal with this last year? Why am I still struggling? So when we're, when we're not dealing with our trauma, when we're maybe working at a more of a superficial level, there's the, more of a circle of suffering. So we continuously go through the same circles and it feels like we have these same repeating patterns and no matter what we do, we can't get out of it and it just goes on and on and on. When we're actually diving into healing work and we're experiencing deep psychological healing mentally and also physiologically, we can talk a little more about like what it means to heal the body as well as the mind, I notice that we go through more of a spiral. So we still circle, but every time we circle whatever that pattern is, we get wiser or we get more resilient or we do another layer of healing that allows us to move to the next level of healing. And eventually what I've noticed is instead of feeling like we're circling and circling and circling and nothing changes, we're spiraling up and out of the trauma. So I think that's the major difference between recognizing, am I just stuck or am I actually healing And the circular process is part of healing because every time we go around again, we gain another level of healing. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm far from a psychologist. I do have a couple of friends that I know that they haven't dealt with past trauma in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I can see how it shows up in their day-to-day life. Um, How they react to things, how they treat other people in the moment, how they picture themselves as people, as wives, as mothers. And, you know, I, I wish for them and I pray for them that it is something that someday that they'll be able to go and actually deal with. Because I, I feel like a lot of, um, and, and maybe this is a judgment, but I have friends that have gone to psychologists for many, many years, but not specifically to deal with trauma. Yes. And I don't see them getting ahead like I would expect after two, three, four years of therapy. Mm-hmm. But I know they haven't dealt with their trauma. Right. Yes. And so, like, how, you know, when you meet with clients, is that something that you, you know, really try to get to the bottom of right away? Yes. Yeah. As soon as they're ready to go there, because I have had that experience as well. I probably did a decade of therapy, more talk based therapy, and not necessarily focusing on trauma or body based therapies, which I believe are really important when it comes to working through trauma. And I felt the same thing that you've mm-hmm. noticed in your friends. I, like, I felt this sense of, I'm doing the work, but it feels 
almost superficial. Like I'm scratching the surface, mm-hmm. and I'm not actually noticing any changes. Um, so I do think that there there's ways that we can go into our healing, but we don't actually experience the transformation we're looking for. And there's other pathways. And this is what happened for me in that bathtub moment, because by that time I had two degrees in psychology <laughs> and a decade of therapy. And I'm like, WTF, like, yeah. I should be further along yes. than I am yes. in this moment. And so that's where I started looking into how do we get deeper into healing? How do we do the trauma work? How do we create healing in the nervous system so that we're not constantly in those reactivity states? Mm. Or how do we bring um, work, with, work with the deeper levels of mind, not just the conscious level, the thinking, rational, logical level, but the subconscious level, the part that keeps us looping in these patterns, or even the unconscious level where there maybe are root causes that are causing us to stay stuck that we don't even know mm-hmm. are yeah. there. What is body, you mentioned body-based therapy. What is, or mm-hmm. I don't know if it's therapy or technique, but what is that? Yeah, there's a number of therapies that are coming out now that are much more focused on what's happening in the body in terms of trauma. A lot of times when we have a trauma response, we almost cut off from the body. So it's it's like we go into our mind to try to survive. So we compartmentalize or we rationalize or we, we get defensive and we have all these cognitive strategies for survival, but we also have these body-based strategies for survival. So, so for example, um, I know this is my story and a lot of women that I work with, they have a strategy of overfunctioning. So they go, 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 or they hustle, 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 or they're like running really hard through life. They're, it's almost as though they're trying to outrun their trauma mm. because it's not safe to be in the body. It feels scary yeah. to drop down into the body and to go slow enough to notice what's happening in your breath. Um, or sometimes it feels like it's too scary to deal with the trauma. So it's almost like our body holds whatever the trauma is because our minds can't hold it. Mm. So when we're doing body-based therapy, we try to drop into the body. We try. We work with healing the nervous system. So there's somatic experiencing as an example, or integrative body psychotherapy is another one. Even doing something like breath work and starting to get into the sensations of what can be released in your breath when you are going deeper into what's happening in the body. And so you had mentioned, is this a newer technique then that psychologists are using? I would say it's becoming more popular okay yeah so it's there's been a lot of body-based psychotherapies that have been around for quite a while but i think as our culture is becoming more open to healing we're recognizing that some of the more popular techniques so cognitive behavioral therapy is a really great one there's a lot of research behind it it's very brain-based it's very thought-based we're realizing it's not sufficient Mm -hmm. it's a part of the healing puzzle but it's not the entire healing puzzle and the body-based ones now are becoming more important and more popular because we're talking more about trauma and this, the cognitive-based approaches, I don't think hit the trauma at the deeper levels like the body-based ones do. Well, I'm really happy to hear that you know therapy is evolving because I feel like, and again, this is coming from a non-therapist, but I feel like for so many years it was almost like stagnant. It was like the same things were being taught. Yes. Oh, am I right? Yes, oh, you're 100% good. Right. Oh. Nailed it <laughs> for so long. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy to hear that there's some new um, methods out there that that you are using. What would you tell someone who knows that they need help but they fear addressing their, you know, past unresolved trauma? Because I, again, I know people who are, are just, they're so fearful. It's like, you know, the thought of having to talk about sexual abuse when they were young or even admitting to it or the, you know, or physical abuse from a parent or, you know, that, you know, to live through life and not ever talk to anyone about that. So, you know, what would you tell someone that they know they need help, but they're really scared? Yeah. I think the first thing is, I get it. <laughs> of mm-hmm. course, of course you'd be afraid. 
when we go through these early experiences where it just feels like we're absolutely overwhelmed by life and really hard, painful, difficult things happen, one of the ways we cope is by putting it in a little box and like tying it up and hopefully we never have to look at it again. But what we know is that eventually that little box cracks open and we start to see the ways that it's leaking out and it's impacting life. So there's a few things. One is to recognize that there's going to be struggle either way. Either you're going to struggle because there's this little box inside of you that's causing pain and it's leaking out and impacting your relationships and your parenting and your, how you feel about yourself and your body and your business. That's one version of the struggle. Or the other version of the struggle is you're going to go in and you might have to feel some hard things and you might have to deal with some hard things. But on the other side, it gets so much better. Mm -hmm. So the first is recognizing there's struggle either way. You might as well heal it. Yes. <laughs> That's one. The other is that choosing somebody that you feel safe with is really important. So in therapy, as much as I'm mentioning all these modalities, what matters more than anything else is our relationship with the person that is holding the space for us. Mm -hmm. So if we've, especially if we've had traumatic childhoods, what creates the trauma is not what we go through, but it's the feeling that we're going through that hard thing alone. Mm -hmm. That there's no one there to hold us when we feel really unsafe. So choosing somebody you feel safe with, choosing someone that you can bring these fears to, and someone who can hold that space for you and honor those fears and work with you in a really safe way. Mm -hmm. So we call it titration, where you, you lean in a little bit to the fear and then you come back and you source safety and you lean in a little bit more and you come back and you find some love and you lean in a little more and you come back and you find comfort. So it's this process of, of recognizing you can go into the hard thing and you can be safe and you can feel loved. So I think the second piece is not repeating the pain of the past and the way that you do that is by finding the people that you feel safe with. Mm. Well, you are so lovely to talk to that if I ever need help, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call up Gemma Stone. <laughs> Your voice is even soothing. Thank you. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, you're, you'd you be like the person to like, if someone needs a hug, you just wrap your arms around them and you tell them it's going to be okay. <laughs> Um, you're very transparent about your suffering and trauma that you've endured in your life. And how has your own personal experience with trauma been able to help you relate to your clients? And do you mention that though to your clients? Like, is that something as a therapist that you know, you open up because then there's this almost connectivity or relatability, or is that something that you don't talk about? That's a really good question. When I was in university, we were taught this philosophy around the tabula rasa, which is the therapist is the blank slate. And I never really liked that philosophy because we're not, we're not, we're supposed, we're humans. And what we know about therapy is that it's the relationship that brings the healing. So in the beginning, I was very professional. I was all like dressed up in a suit and I had my, my little everything was, I was projecting this tabula rasa. And what I noticed is that over time, as I would accidentally let little things fall, I would, I would show more of my imperfections. I would maybe, I would relate to them in a way that they knew that I knew because I had been there. Mm. And I noticed that every time I did that, something shifted in the relationship, something shifted in their own healing. There was this feeling of, I'm, I'm not alone, or I'm not weird, or I'm not strange, or I don't have to hide these imperfect parts of me, or I can give my the people in my life a little more grace because they're also imperfect. Like if my therapist is imperfect, then maybe like it's okay that my mom messed up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All this compassion came pouring in for themselves and for others. Yeah. So over time, I began taking little pieces of my story and, and experimenting with it and sharing it, occasionally in therapy if it was gonna help the client or also um, on social media. Mm. Eventually I wrote a book and in the book I, I became much more transparent. 
And what I found is every time I did it, good things happened. Mm. But, and I think the thing that we need to be cautious about is all of our stories are different. So if we have been through the same hard thing, your experience will be different than mine. I might have some insights that I've gathered because of my experience, but yours is very unique to you. So sometimes I think we just have to, we have to share this like common humanity that there is struggle and there's pain and there's suffering while at the same time honoring the difference. Because otherwise the other person can feel sort of like unseen in mm-hmm. their own experience. They can yeah. feel like we're projecting our experience to them and not giving them space mm-hmm. to really honor the uniqueness of what they've been through and how that's impacted them. Yes. I, you know what you mentioning, or just us talking about this, it, I, um, I had a, a, a dear, well, she was a dear friend of mine for many years, and she had been one of my best friends for many years, and I think experienced um, trauma, well, not think I know, a really difficult marriage, things happened in her marriage, and we kind of drifted apart a bit, and so I, I kind of touched base with her, you know, once every six to 12 months just to see how she was doing, and and then I didn't talk to her for a year, and then I called her, and I went to voicemail, and and I called her again a few weeks later. It went to voicemail, and finally, I think you know, a few weeks after that, she sent me, which it was a really beautifully written text, but it was a really hard text for me to read, and it was basically the connection that we had was lost because her life was going through extreme trauma and. She was going through a lot of things in her life that I couldn't relate to as a woman not going through that. You know, I think I, you know, I don't think I, I believe that she knew that I was in a good marriage. My kids were healthy. I had a career and she was at a very different place in her life. And she said, Tanya, like, I don't want to have to dump on you every time that we talk and you can't understand what I'm going through because you don't have the same experience as I do. And she said, you know, when I was going through this, my circle got very small mm-hmm. and I had my, you know, my mom and one other person. And it was almost like this farewell text. And it was, but I had to respect it in the time because she was going through something in her life and probably didn't want to air all of her laundry, didn't want to feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm such a huge proponent of, you know, when you're going through something to find someone that you can speak to, that you feel that is relatable or safe and um, it was a hard text for me to to hear because it was almost like I was being unfriended (laughs) you know but it was very beautifully written and I had to respect Mm -hmm. her process Mm -hmm. Um, so just you know us talking about that and being able to connect with your clients I I do think that that is like a real gift when you have people that come in to see you that feel that no one understands them and then you can give them those little sit snippets and they don't, it probably is this feeling of I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it's, it's such a beautiful insight. I mean, I loved how you were, you were able to hold your friend because it would be mm-hmm. hard to receive that. If you it was. Really I close. was hurt. Yeah. I was hurt, but <clears throat> I understood. Yeah. And she was very gracious in her text as well. You know, she talked about our memories and what my friendship meant to her, yeah. but that she kind of had to move past that. Yeah. It was a very mature breakup text. Wow. <laughs> like, also good for her. Like, that's, yeah, it, takes it a lot was. Of I was like, gosh, I wish my boyfriends would have broken up with me like that. <laughs> One of the things that you shared there that I think is incredibly wise and insightful is this acknowledgement that when we are going through the hard thing, there can be a tendency to self-isolate. And this awareness of like, oh, my friend doesn't really understand. She hasn't been through it, so maybe I can't, I can't take her along for this ride, which, which is painful to be on the receiving end of that. And I think there's another way. 
this is one of the things I love about working, the work that we get to do with people is, as long as you have somebody journeying, journeying with you, everybody else can still stay. There doesn't have to be the breakup text. Mm. It can be the sense, like I imagine it's almost like climbing Everest. You know, your friend, she, she had a, a mental, emotional, psychological Everest she had to climb. Mm. And she might have looked at you and said, well, sh this person's never had an Everest like this to climb. Maybe she's not going to be able to do it with me. She might have been right about that or wrong, but she doesn't have, there doesn't have to be this disconnect. There can be the sense of, okay, I'm going to find a Sherpa. I'm going to find a Sherpa <laughs> that's been this, like, up this route, that knows these risks, that it, like, has the tools that can help me climb this Everest. And all the people that are not into climbing Everest or don't have to climb Everest, like, they can stay they at base camp. To come. They, they can, can cheer me on. Camp. I'm like, I'm going to get off this mountain eventually. I'm going to come back to base camp. It's going to be filled with the people I love. And, like, my Sherpa would have guided me safely. So I think this is one of the things that happens actually when we do have a history of trauma. One of the responses is this freeze response where it's like a shutdown response and we shut down inside of ourselves, mm -hmm. but also we can shut down other relationships as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the piece is both like compassion for you because that's so hard to be on the receiving end mm -hmm. of that. I've had that experience as well and I know, I know the sting that can mm -hmm. happen as well as the appreciation that she handled it mm -hmm. maturely. And then my invitation for other people that feel like they're they're about to embark on this psychological Everest is you don't have to isolate. You mm -hmm. don't have to disconnect. You don't have to do the breakup thing. You can bring people along with you that can help guide you up that mountain while keeping the people who love you hanging out at base mm -hmm. camp, drinking hot chocolate, <laughs> waiting for you to return. <laughs> well, and I still have love for her, and I still pray for her, and I still think about her. So mm -hmm. I still hold her in my heart. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah. How did you begin to rewire your core beliefs um, and then eventually releasing your fears? That's a good question. For me, it was so many good questions. I say that every time you ask that, I have to just acknowledge these questions are so deep and insightful. It's a delight to answer them. For me, it began with this awareness that I had to go deeper than the conscious mind. I think there's a lot of people that know what they should be doing, right? We know what we should be thinking. Allowing yourself to actually do the things you know you need to do or think the things you know you need to think is much more difficult. So for me, it was looking at why, why are all these blocks here? What's going on that's deeper that's keeping me stuck in these repetitive patterns? So I looked at how do I start to rewire deeper levels of the mind, the subconscious part of the mind. So if you imagine the conscious mind is like a rider and the subconscious mind is like an elephant. If the rider and the elephant want to go in the same direction, you have no problem, which is why sometimes in life we do things really easily, we make changes, and it's fairly effortless because the conscious and the subconscious are aligned. But if the rider wants to go left and the elephant wants to go right, you're going to have a battle. Mm -hmm. And eventually the rider is going to get tired of yanking on the reins and the elephant is just going to like take over and go down the path. So for me, it was this recognition of, I feel like I'm constantly battling myself. I feel like there's this, we talk about self-sabotage and these, these ways in which we do things that are against our best interest. I wanted to go deeper into why does this happen? I was fascinated by how come there's this mismatch and what do we need to do to create alignment so that the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, the unconscious mind, the mind and the body and the spirit can all be aligned and move in the direction of the life we love. It's mm. a very good analogy. I'm just picturing the elephant and the rider. <laughs> so frustrating when they fight because you know we're intelligent we're intelligent yeah. people we're fairly yeah. sophisticated we should be able to figure these yeah, things out totally. but there are deeper forces at play that if we don't know what they are it can be very frustrating well you don't know what you don't know exactly right yeah you say that love is the answer and the pillar that leads your life today 
Can you describe to our listeners how to integrate love into your clients and your own personal life, especially on those days that test and challenge us? This lesson about love and fear to me came in in a jungle in Guyana. This is gonna be good. <laughs> so it was, it was fabulous. I'm hold sorry. on, hold on. That thought. Please tell our listeners where you were born. Oh, I was so I was born so on the Sunshine Coast. There's this cute little island. My mom tried to give birth to me on this island with pretty much no one around. It didn't go so well. So they had to hire a, a, a private ferry to charter her, to get her to get her to the mainland, to get her to safety. So I was born in Palo River Hospital, but it was in process all the way over there and eventually eventually came up. So I had an early introduction to adventure. Okay, back to Ghana. <laughs> yes. So I was in the jungle of Guyana. It was my birthday. And we were gathering palm fronds. So the, the, the big leafy palm fronds, they had fallen to the ground and they were dead. And... Everybody was gathering them. It was fairly late at night. And dusk was, was settling in, and I was wearing this white T-shirt, and I was like so excited. I was gathering these pom-poms, and I'd gather them, and I would, I'd throw them over my head to create this pile. And one of the pom-poms I threw over my head, and I didn't know at the time, but something had jumped from the pom-pom onto my white shirt, and it was on my shoulder. And I, I kind of had a sense of like, there's something black on my white shirt. What's going on? And I looked down, and this little tarantula, or big Ooh, tarantula. I you were going to say monkey. <laughs> oh, I wish it was a monkey. It was this tarantula that was wiggling its hairy little legs at me and like two inches from my chin. So I freaked out, and I like hit the tarantula off my shoulder and killed it. I thought this was amazing. I thought I was the bravest person there because I just survived this tarantula attack. So I run back to the village ready to tell my story. And the elder in the village looks at me with this like, you know, I'm not like these elders, they, they have this look on their face like I'm about to school you, kid. Oh, okay. So he looks at me and he's like, tells me the story about how I wasn't really present. I wasn't really paying attention. I was just like throwing these leaves and I had destroyed this spider's nest in my lack of presence. Oh. And then not only that, but then in my reactivity, in my fear, I then killed this tarantula, which they're actually pretty sensitive beings and they're not they're not aggressive. And so he just he looks at me and gives me this like head shaking life lesson around fear, unchecked fear will destroy life. Wow, that's yeah. powerful. Right. I feel the guilt for you right now. You just yeah. kill. She might have been a mama with babies. Right. What if she had babies? Like, it's oh. my like all of these things go on in my mind. So in that moment, like we we have the fire, and he, he he looks at me with those like sparkling little eyes and the the wrinkly skin, and he knows that I'm I'm getting the lesson, and he's watching me through the fire, and I just have this like ongoing realization of all the times in my life that I reacted from a place of fear. When if I had just been present and I had been mindful about what's actually going on right here, if I had been able to connect from this place of love and presence and, and appreciation for life, I might have responded a little differently. So to go back to your question, that's what I ask myself is in the hardest moments in life when I want to react from a place of fear, what story do I want to tell? Do I want to tell the spider killing story? <laughs> or do I want to tell the story of I was present and I connected to love, and I looked at how do I want to respond to the situation so that 5, 10, 15 years ago, I'm going to be able to tell the story and feel proud of how I showed up. Mm. How can I respond from a place of love for myself and for others and for the world? That is very, very well said. I'm just processing if, like everything you're saying. I, 
I'm thinking, you know, of even in my own life, the times that I've acted out of fear yeah. and, and then making decisions that were fear-based mm. because I didn't step out and, and, you know, kind of look inwardly at the situation. Yeah. You just, sometimes you're so paralyzed with something that's happened, fear or distress that you, it's like you can't see the, there's a, like a saying, like, you can't see the clouds through the fog. Is that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're just, you're paralyzed. Yeah. And so you make these decisions that are based on the fear that you're in. Exactly. But to be able to step out of that and then, you know, talk yourself through it and make those decisions, they're completely different mm -hmm. than the decisions you would have made, you know, based in fear. So that's a, a very good story. I'll, I'll always remember the tarantula story. <laughs> How can unresolved trauma inhibit you from leading your best life later on in life? We repeat what we don't repair. So anytime we have an experience in life that's traumatizing and that, that keeps us stuck and we have a fear-based response, we tend to repeat that over and over and over again. So if we have an experience when we're little, maybe a feeling we grow up and maybe there's a lot of tension around money in the family, let's say, or maybe our family goes bankrupt and it completely obliterates our sense of stability. What happens is that if we have not dealt with that fear, we end up carrying this trauma around money in our mind and in our body. And it creates this, this tension or this dissonance. We end up developing a fear around it, like a fear of failure or a fear of success. And we end up repeating the patterns over and over and over again. So I've worked with people that have um, tr trauma patterns around money, and every time they get money, they, they get rid of it somehow. In, in all kinds of ways. Sometimes they make a bad investment or sometimes they take on a business partner that's a little bit sketchy or sometimes it's even things like car accidents or like or, or just giving the money away. Like there's this resistance. So they want to have this feeling of feeling safe and secure and abundance around money, but they have this early trauma and they continuously are attracting these experiences where they're repeating because they didn't repair. We think about other examples of, um, let's say, somebody really wants to have a loving, healthy, romantic relationship, but they have a lot of early experiences around love not being safe. So maybe their, their, their parents had a lot of conflict. Unconsciously, what happens then is they, they continue to be attracted to and to create those same experiences that they had when they were little. So they repeat it over and over and over again. So I think this, this message around we repeat what we don't repair is an invitation to look at what are you repeating in your life that you don't want to repeat anymore? And where does the repair have to happen so that you can be liberated from that pattern? Yes, I am. I can uh, not personally relate, but my husband went through trauma in his life. You know, his parents, they, um, they lost their farm. You know, they lost their identity of who they were in the community. And that was very traumatizing for him. And he had to, you know, later in life, go through that process of healing and therapy to kind of deal with that. Because it was a loss. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I think, you know, he saw his father go through a lot, you know, as a man, you're a provider. And to lose the farm, literally, you know, it's very devastating. It and is. did impact him later in life. And I think to some aspects still does today, even though he has dealt with it. Amazing yeah. that he recognized that. Yeah, very therapy. much so. Because it, 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 every time we circle around and add another layer of repair, we get a little more free. So maybe yes. maybe he's not 100% there yet, but likely your lives are so much better because he had the courage to look at those yes. hard things from the past and not repeat them to the same extent. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Can you give us an example of a client who has come in with trauma 
and it's really pulled them down in life, affected their day-to-day living, maybe they can't function as well, failed relationships, whatever it is, and once they were cleared, what they were able to achieve. Yeah. I was working with this, this woman, and she had a lot of early experiences around her body. So she experienced, I mean, she was fed a steady diet of Cosmo. I was too. So that's in itself. <laughs> it doesn't help. Questionably traumatic. Um, but also she had um, a mother who, her mother had been taught that the way that a woman is successful is based on how she looks. And this, this, this client was not, um, didn't fit the profile of what her mom thought was going to lead to her success. So her mom was a little more critical and kind of like nagger about things. And then a little bit later in life, when she was in high school, she experienced a sexual assault. So over and over and over again, she had these messages around, my body's not good enough, my body is not safe. And she began to disconnect from her body. So as she grew up, she didn't have a relationship with her body. She didn't feel safe in her body. She really hyper-developed her mind, which was a fabulous asset. And she found herself in a position where she was thriving professionally, but she was constantly held back with anything that had to do with her body. So she wouldn't, she would not go to meetings because she didn't want to be seen. And if she did go to a meeting, she wouldn't speak up, even though she had brilliant ideas, because she was afraid of being seen and therefore she might be judged or she might be criticized or rejected. She was offered promotions that she turned down because she was going to be in the public eye more. She had this love of fashion and she would just like obsess over all these like amazing fashion like icons and she wanted to be that, but she felt afraid. So she would sort of hide her body in, in clothes that didn't feel good to her. She wouldn't show up in photos with her families because she didn't want to be seen. So she came to me realizing, I have all this, these opportunities for success, for love, um, for like making money, but also making memories, and I can't access any of it because I have this really deep fear. We worked on her inherent self-worth. We worked on um, feeling comfortable in her body. We worked on her self-image, all these pieces. And then eventually, she began to be feel safe in her body. She began to develop a loving relationship with her body where her body all of a sudden was, instead of being at the bottom of her priority list, it came up. She was like, I love, this is amazing. This is like, my soul lives in this thing. I'm going to keep taking care of it. So she was taking care of her body. She was setting a great, a great example for her children so they didn't need to continue repeating that same pattern. And she ended up getting a promotion offer again because they kept trying to get her up that ladder, but she just wouldn't take it. So she got the promotion and she was able to like go and like put on a bathing suit and make some memories with her family. So we, that's an example of like sometimes we have these things that we're so entrenched in the fear that our life gets really small. Mm -hmm. There's another person that I was working with and she was, she was just brilliant and had all these great ideas for businesses and she would repeatedly create these businesses and she would hustle. She would work so hard. She had an incredible work ethic, incredible vision, but she would burn out. So she would almost take this thing to exactly where it needed to be, but she would totally exhaust herself in the process. She would take on things that she shouldn't take on. She would say yes when she needed to say no. She would like people please and overfunction, overwork, end up so anxious and burnt out that everything would crash. And when we got a little bit deeper into it, we realized that this pattern was coming from an early experience where her parents were going through a divorce for a very long time, and she felt like she was stuck in the middle. She felt like that she was the one who needed to manage and she needed to like communicate between the two of them and try to kind of keep everything under control. And, and she, her parents were very um, preoccupied with their own conflict. So whenever she had something hard she was going through, she couldn't turn to them. So she felt very alone when she was a child. She felt she had to be responsible for more than she probably should have when she was little. The only time that she would 
really feel like she got attention or love from her parents is when she would be exceptional in school or in sports. So she developed this sort of perfectionist mentality of, I'm lovable for what I do, not who I am. I need to overperform, I need to overfunction, I need to be the best all the time in order to get love or attention. So this translated into her business work. She, in a way, she was trying to, she was repeating what she didn't repair. She was repeating that dynamic of, I'm all on my own, I need to manage things that are too big for me, I can't rely on anyone else, I need to be perfect, I need to hustle really hard in order to be safe or get love. And she would almost take every business to like a really exceptional level and then it would all fall apart. Eventually, of course, her parents did get divorced. It was that same sort of process. Years and years and years of hard work and trying so difficult, trying to do something so difficult and then it would all crumble. <clears throat> so similarly, we looked at this pattern, we, we brought compassion to that little one. We brought in also compassion for her parents that were just doing the best that they could at that time. And we brought healing to that whole system. Then the next startup she went into she hired the team, she delegated, she didn't expect herself to be perfect, she didn't expect them to be perfect because that was a bit of an issue as well. She learned that she is inherently lovable for who she is, not what she does. She, she didn't have all this identity wrapped up in performing in a particular way anymore. And then she was able to develop a business that was actually sustainable and not one that was constantly in that burnout cycle. Wow. Well, congratulations to both of your clients and you for you know, being able to walk them through that journey, which I'm sure was not easy. They probably had to do a lot of work and be very vulnerable and, and they were probably very scared. Um, how, like how long, and I mean, I, this might not be, you know, I know it's not a, an equation, but typically when you're meeting from someone at the beginning and you're dealing with trauma, how, is there an average of how long it takes? Like if someone's really committed to their recovery, yeah. is it like, should someone be saying, and I'm just asking this for our listeners, because I think for some people it's so daunting on where to start. How long is this going to take me? Mm -hmm. Like, it, does it take years of therapy? Does it take 10 sessions? Or is there like, is there, is that, can I even ask that? Is, that oh, a, yes. is there an answer? That's a great question. It's a great question. There's, there is a lot of variety. It depends on how intense the trauma is. It depends on how long it's been entrenched for. It depends on sort of how deeply integrated the patterns are. So if the pattern, for example, is just at work, that's a little easier than if the pattern is at work, in your romantic relationship, with your kids, with your family, with your friends, with yourself. It, it, it depends on how far it's spread, mm -hmm. really. But really, for somebody who is motivated and somebody who is um, really willing to put in the work and really willing to kind of go in with an open heart and a lot of vulnerability, I work with people from anywhere from three sessions. Sometimes we can start to see those shifts and they can run with it. Or sometimes it takes, sometimes it does take a couple of years. Yeah. But in the beginning, there's usually a more intense period of time. And then there's sort of like a bit of a tail end where we've created a lot of internal shifts and now we want to make sure they stick. It's like maintenance. Exactly, maintenance. Yeah. So we're checking in like quarterly to say, how are we doing? Is, you know, mm -hmm. is this sticking? Is there anything that's triggered you? Is there another layer of healing that you've become aware mm -hmm. of now? But I do think that there does not, I mean, the traditional therapy, when we think well, like long, long time ago, if you were, you know, sitting on a therapist's couch and, or like laying on the couch and looking up and they were taking notes from behind you and that kind of cliche, and it was psychoanalytic therapy, for example, was like decades. Yeah. We have brief therapy models now where we can notice shifts very quickly. There's trauma processing models like accelerated resolution therapy or eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, some of these other therapies can happen a little bit more quickly. And especially if you're willing to do the work, because often 
um, you'll be invited to do work after the session to say like, let's keep this going. Let's learn new neural mm -hmm. pathways so that your brain and your body can behave in different ways to the same stimulus. The more you do it, because even though we repeat what we don't repair, repetition is also a form of permanence. Mm -hmm. So there's this like the, the kind of repetition I think is this golden sort of nugget where it will show you where you need to do the work. And then if you do enough repetition, you create a new reality. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing hope. Yeah, so much yeah. hope. Like I, for, you know, I think for a lot of people, there's so much hopelessness yeah. and they feel alone and, and they, they're fearful and they don't even know how to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing, and I hope what our listeners hear it, that are maybe struggling with trauma, unresolved trauma, that there is hope and that you can lead a beautiful life even though you've gone through, you know, whether it's a small amount of trauma or a large amount of trauma. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing those, both of those stories. Mm. Gemma, what have you vowed to yourself in life? Mm. My vow is, did I love? My vow is a question, did I love? I think when we get to the end of our days, when our our last inhalation dissolves into our last exhalation when we're kind of stripped away of, of the possessions or the status. What's left is love. And so my, my, my vow every day is, did I love? Did I love myself and others and the world with everything I had? Thank you. And we always like to spotlight a charity of choice. So is there a charity today that you'd like to spotlight? Yeah. Popping back to Guyana. <laughs> when I was in Guyana, we didn't have any water. So we dug a hole in the ground and got to the water table and it filled up with this like murky water. I was obscenely sick oh. for, for probably like 12 days and lost like 20 pounds. It was, it was a thing. So my, my water of choice is charity water. Mm -hmm. uh, we, for my birthdays, my kids also, we donate our birthdays to charity water. We've, we've built a few wells and I just, I think, they're, I think their model for philanthropy is profound. I think they've really changed the, the profile of how do we give in a way that's really sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just love the cause of water because water changes everything. Oh my gosh, it does. I will, I'm going to look up. It's called Charity Water. Charity Water. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> and so what What year were you in Guyana? 2012. Oh, wow. And were you, so that was 10 years ago. So you would have had, Did you? were you just, because you have a 10 and 13 year old? Yes. yes. Yeah. So yes. you would have just been like, just about to have a baby? <laughs> yeah, I think it would have. It must have been before that. This is one of the things about about my brain speaking of psychology. Details. That's okay. good with details. Sometime maybe before it was 20, children. Before children. Before children. Much before children. Maybe it was like 20 years ago. Uh, and have you gone back at all? I haven't gone to Guyana, but actually my kids and I, when we were doing, I wanted them to understand why we were donating our birthdays. Because mm -hmm. like... For a seven-year-old to give money yeah, to charity water like, instead of like you know getting a new box of crayons or something like that was questionable. <laughs> so we went to Nepal actually, oh, wow. and we went and we found the wells that they had helped to create with the donation oh. of their birthday. So we didn't haven't gone to Guyana, but we did get out to Nepal. Oh, and, that's so and checked special. Out the wells. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> You're well, Gemma, thank you so much for being here today. I've had just a, uh, like I said, you're so easy to talk to. So I just feel like I've had such a beautiful conversation with you. And thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for talking to us about trauma. And I, I know that our listeners will get a lot out of today's podcast. So thank you. Totally my pleasure. I'm so grateful that you're inviting people in to share these stories and to kind of go deeper into the human experience. I think 
that's really how we have this feeling of we're not alone. Mm -hmm. like, there are people out there that have stories that are similar to ours, mm -hmm. and there's people out there that are doing good work, like yes. the work that you're doing, and really encouraging other people to look at how do we how do we become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the conversation. I've just loved it Aww. so much. <laughs> Yay. I'm grateful <laughs> to have been here with you. Oh well, thanks, Gemma. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.